Today, Florin from Romania wonders if automating the tone editing of your photos is worth doing or if you're better off doing it manually. And I'll take that as an opportunity to talk you through parts of my photo editing workflow. And there's also a short companion video to this episode to illustrate some of my points. This is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 863 for April the 18th, 2019. Hey, hello and welcome. It's Chris. You're listening to Tips from the Top Floor, which has been truly the longest running photography show. Matt, just a few days ago pointed me to the fact that Tips on the Top Floor is now officially 14 years old on the 18th of April. It's been 14 years of this little show. What a ride! <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, that was a little sad fanfare. Um, yeah, this show is pretty much the one thing in my life that I've stuck with the longest. That says quite something. And uh, yeah, that's because of you, of course, because of the feedback you send me, the questions you, you ask, um, because of uh, those of you I meet on the tours and workshops. So thanks for being around for so long. If it wasn't for, for you listening to this show, I probably wouldn't be doing it. And I do wonder if there are still any first day listeners around. Let me know. I'm curious. Quick follow-up to last week's discussion about printing, where I answered uh, Jim's question. And he sent me a follow-up mail. Let me read that to you. Hi, Chris. I just listened to your show on print media. Thank you for taking my uh, on my question. You made some interesting points, especially about the instant cameras as well as Apple's new news release. All this is exciting, but being mostly a portrait photographer and working with private people, families, etc., this is the market that I have the hardest time promoting physical prints. Other portrait photographers in my area, some who have been shooting since the 1960s, have cited the same struggles. So your point in saying that it is different in different markets is quite accurate. At any rate, I love what I what I do. I love your show and appreciate the time. Have an awesome day. Thank you, Jim. So yeah, I, I guess people don't really put portraits on their walls anymore. At least... People, I don't know, under under a certain age maybe, or they don't put photos on their mantelpieces anymore. I'm I'm not I'm not sure what to do about that. I guess uh, if that was a big part of your business, then you'll probably have to find other things that you that you can sell your clients. Uh, photography is evolving. It's evolving really fast. There's so much innovation there's so much change um, faster than it ever changed and that's not just in, in camera technology but uh, also in the taste of the clients because they get so much offered these days that uh, so much choice um, that old classic things don't always uh, work anymore and of course i mean professionals will have to adapt and adjust uh, a friend, for example, a friend of mine runs a photo lab, and uh, while he used to process uh, plenty of film, that's just not happening anymore. And it's to the point where he got rid of the machinery to make prints from film. He had this huge, big, well, <laughs> it's called a mini lab, but it filled half the room, 
um, and you put film in on one side and prints came out on the other side. It was an amazing machine. There's like um, a chemical processing in there and uh, just took a, I don't know, a minute for the prints to come out on the other side, dried and everything. Well, maybe two minutes, but it was this amazing, efficient machine unless you only run it with a couple of films a week, which doesn't make any sense because it needs heating up and it needs uh, it needs electricity and the, the chemistry needs to be refreshed and so on. So he got rid of that, yeah. And uh, he adjusted his business from, uh, from film to more digital. And uh, what he's doing now most is uh, he digitizes film for others and other things. He offers pretty much any size scans uh, from big plans to tiny negatives like Super 8 um, uh, video video digitization. He digitizes VHS cassettes for people. Um, you know, people have memories on a lot of different things. Uh, he, <laughs> he, even, he even digitizes vinyl records for people. And I believe he's doing okay. So, yeah. Roll with the punches, right? Anyway, let's get into this week's topic. Hi, Chris. My name is Florin. I'm from Romania. And I would like to know how you edit the photo uh, exposure in Lightroom. Do you use the auto button or you do it by yourself? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Florin, for the question. Editing in Lightroom... Um, let's 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 expand this to other platforms as well because it's pretty much true for uh most photo editing suites um there are several ways to do that uh to change the exposure but more than that and that's because there are so many parameters if you look into light into lightroom's develop module in the right hand side you can see a lot of these parameters a lot of these sliders and that's quite confusing and um and lightroom is non-destructive that's uh, an important thing to remember so you can try that's uh, a good thing you can try slide the sliders back and forth and the order in which you do them doesn't really matter so um, that's one of the reasons i kind of like the, the modern way of working on photos um, there's other things in there um, if you go if you go uh, into the develop module, um, and I'm talking Lightroom Classic, by the way, CC Classic, uh, there's a color balance and contrast. But then if you look at the basic panel, that's the main panel that we're talking about at this point. Uh, the basic panel in the develop module, um, if you look next to the sliders for exposure and so on, there's also an auto button. And that's the one that uh, you, Florin, are referring to. Uh, and that auto button... It's called Autotone. And these automatic systems are getting more and more ubiquitous. You just look at your camera, for example. You have pretty much three main systems in there that are automated. The autofocus system, uh, the auto exposure system, and the automatic white balance. And those three have very specific functions. And together they can make or break your photo. And... Uh, in Lightroom, Auto Tone, the Auto button that you're referring to, um, does just one of these three things, right? It doesn't do any focus, it doesn't do any white balance, it just does the exposure 
and the let's say contrast part so contrast highlights shadows exposure so it's not only doing exposure it changes a few parameters around but what does it do i mean uh i've been trying to find out exactly what it does but there's not much documentation i think that's a bit of the uh, the secret sauce that a company like adobe has um, but i'm pretty sure what it does is it determines latitude it looks how bright how dark the photo is and then it uh tries to make sure that um that that it looks pleasing now how it does that Meh. again there's a bit of secret sauce there but it fixes the exposure and the contrast or at least it tries to and it does a fairly decent job most of the time um, the same as your camera does a fairly decent job with uh, automatic exposure and automatic uh, colors again most of the time because automatic settings are always a bit problematic right there's plenty of situations where your camera will be fooled or or lightroom will be fooled by something in the photo and might not do a good job um now you can by the way also set uh, lightroom to do automatic white balance for you but again it's same with the camera it's just not always right the camera kind of gets the white balance a bit too cool every now and then but that's just that's beside the point uh, back to the auto tone button uh, in general 90% of the time it makes things look better but it tends to be to make things a bit too bright for my taste that's just my personal taste um, and it does that I guess because it kind of it looks cooler it looks nicer for most people's eyes but then you tend to lose some detail in the highlights sometimes and uh, if if that's what my photo needs, then overexposure is totally fine. But often when I use autotone, I just it just goes overboard a bit. So again, automatic exposure, no matter if in camera or if in in Lightroom, doesn't always work. And there are plenty of cases where it won't get it right, and those are, well, uh, those are easy to see if you've done this for a long time, and it might be a bit hard to spot initially, but I think with practice you will get better. But, again, if you're totally lost, Autotone will at least give you a good starting point for your edit. So, I do use Autotone. Um, often, I not always, but with some like difficult shots, I will uh, hit the Autotone button and just see what what Lightroom does. And then I often I might, might just undo it and go back to manually uh, setting those setting up the, the exposure and contrast. But every now and then, it does an amazingly good job, and then I keep it. Or I I use it as a basis for further editing, and I think that's uh, that might be a good uh, thing. Use it as a starting point. So uh, I, wa- I want to take this opportunity and just talk a bit about uh, workflow. Um, the workflow that I use when I don't do autotone but again, it's not a really recipe that works all the time, but there are just a few general things that I do in Lightroom. Um, and again, this will be this will transfer to any other image editing software because uh, the things are um, the, the things are labeled pretty much the same. Now, what I want to do here is uh, first of all, this is based on Lightroom CC Classic. It's on the it's the eight point two release, the one that's current at the time of 
this recording. And I, I want to go down the right-hand side of the develop module, the sidebar, the right sidebar, all the panels that are there by default. Um, and just say a few words about each of those panels. Um, the top one being, well, the, the basic panel. Um, first, what you'll see is the profile. And that used to be all the way to the bottom and it's now on the top and it sets up the pretty much the basic color interpretation if yeah let me try to explain that um it, there's an image file uh, and the image file the raw file or a tiff file or whatever you're using there um if you look inside that if you would open that with uh with a with something that's not a photo editor you'd see numbers a number for each pixel right and that number um gives Lightroom the color and the brightness of this pixel. But what it shows you, what Lightroom shows to you, what it looks like to your eye, depends on the reference system that Lightroom works in. Uh, just an example. If you drive 50 in a city center with your car, that is perfectly okay, as long as you're in Germany, because uh, we do kilometers an hour here. But if you drive 50 in the center of London... That's probably a problem because that's 50 miles an hour over there. And uh, with an image profile, it's similar, right? It tells Lightroom how to interpret those numbers in the image files. And as a result, you'll, you'll see different colors in contrast if you change the profile. And the default is uh, the Adobe Color profile. And that's been around for a few versions of Lightroom, I think. And it's a pretty good all-purpose profile. It's, it's okay. I use it. Most of the time, I typically leave it at that. Uh, sometimes if I want to use one of my camera profiles, like the neutral or the landscape or the portrait profile that my Canon DSLRs use, um, that's where I would select that. But most of the time, I don't. I'll continue going down the panels right after these words, but first let me say a quick thank you to this week's sponsor, HoneyBook. If you run a creative business, you know how to make your clients look good, right? But if you're struggling with tedious administrative tasks, let HoneyBook do the work and make you look good. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communication, your bookings, your contracts, your invoices, all in one place. If you're a creative freelancer or a small business owner such as me, HoneyBook helps you stay organized with custom templates and automation tools. You can even use HoneyBook to consolidate services you already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite and MailChimp. Over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals and other entrepreneurs have saved hundreds to thousands of hours a year. It's your business just better with HoneyBook. And right now HoneyBook is offering you 50% off the first year with promo code TOPFLOOR. Payment is flexible and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com and use promo code TOPFLOOR for 50% off your first year. Get paid faster and work smarter with HoneyBook.com. Promo code TOPFLOOR. And I thank them for the support. All right, on with the panels. Let's look at uh, color balance. I use this often. Um, this is to fix the white balance at the camera thought was right um the camera often gets it too cool uh, too cold so the camera the the, the colors are often more towards the blue than i'd like them to and uh that, yeah that's uh that's the color balance slider and then there's the tone section exposure let's look at the exposure um 
the exposure slider in Lightroom for me often goes together with the actual exposure of the photo. So I try to anticipate the edit when I shoot the photo. And in, in terms of the exposure, I'll try in camera, I'll try to expose to not overexpose the lights, the bright parts of the picture, the sky, the clouds and so on. Because in digital, overexposure is very hard to fix. Underexposure is easier to bump in post, to bring up in post, especially with newer sensors of the last two to four years. The exposure is just uh, easier to fix in the shadows. And in Lightroom, I'll look at the histogram, I'll check the highlights, and I will often just slide the exposure, fix it a bit to get the highlights where I want them to be. Again, I try to get them right but uh, in camera, but sometimes they're just a bit off. And then I'll often go to the shadows slider and bring up the shadows to where I want them. Uh, next is the contrast slider. Um, the contrast, once you fix those first initial few things with the exposure, then the contrast, uh, yeah, slide it to the right and the left, and you will see that it goes crisper when you slide it to the right. Um, but watch the highlights because contrast what contrast does it it makes the dark parts go darker and the bright parts go brighter so it could uh throw your highlights overboard uh, if that's the case then i might bring in the highlights um sometimes only locally with a brush and sometimes i do add contrast and that kind of depends on how I shot the photo. If I have a sunny shot, then there's already a lot of contrast in there. If it was an overcast day, then I might add some contrast depending on the kind of picture. A bit further down, there's the clarity slider, which I avoid. I hardly use it because it, is, it has been overused and it gives that photo this overly crisp appearance. Um, I might use clarity locally. I might paint it in with a brush just in parts of the picture uh dehaze i occasionally use it um it depends again on the shot um not necessarily to do what it says on the box or on the slider dehaze is, is has been made to to fix hazy shots and get them more crisp but it also does some contrast changes that uh some pictures can benefit from so Sometimes if I think, sometimes if I want to increase contrast, I try dehaze instead of the contrast slider. Then there's the vibrance slider, which uh, I use occasionally. Um, not often to bump the colors, but to reduce them, to reduce the color saturation. And vibrance does that in a different way from the slider under it, which is the saturation slider, which I use rarely because vibrance is just a better saturation slider for me. And that's often all I do. Bit of exposure, bit of shadows, maybe a tad of contrast, and that's often it. So that's the basic panel. That's the one that uh, the auto tone button operates within. Um, the tone curve panel is, uh, if you're familiar with Photoshop's curves tool, then by all means use it. Otherwise, yeah, don't bother. I, the basic panel covers this mostly, so I don't think people need to learn the tone curve anymore. Um, could be helpful depending on if, if you do a lot of Photoshop and you want to uh, use the curves tool, which is very powerful, um, then uh, that might be worth looking into. But other than that, 
yeah, I, I, I rarely use it anymore. Uh, next panel is the HSL panel, the hue saturation luminance panel, where you get to fix some colors, um, like ranges of colors. You could fix the blue tones and make them a bit more green or change the luminance of the reds in the picture. Um, don't use this too much, but sometimes I do. Um, this is highly dependent on the shot. Split toning. I find that one interesting because uh, it kind of simulates the old days in the bar- in the dark room. It simulates enlarging a picture on paper uh, because it lets you split the tones. It lets you change the highlights and the shadows separately from each other. So you could, for example, get the lights in the picture warmer and the shadows a bit cooler and emphasize something that way. Or you could you could just work just against what people are used to and make a picture strangely interesting that way uh yeah split toning is uh, is an interesting one and sometimes i might just give the highlights a bit more warmth doing that uh can help in in certain cases let's say you do a sunset and you just want to make the sun that little bit warmer that might be one of the tools to use for that um, the detail panel, uh, this is where noise reduction lives. And um, when you bring up the shadows, especially with older or smaller sensors, that, that can introduce noise in the shadows. And uh, noise reduction, that would, be the, that would be the tool to work on that with. Uh, lens corrections. Mostly what I use there is, uh, to, is removing the chromatic aberrations when needed. That's the, the color fringing at the side of very harsh contrasts. Uh, you, you could, for example, see this with some lenses in the corners when you shoot uh, a tree against the sky. And then, yeah, you get these uh, these blue and pink fringes on, on the edges. And the uh, chromatic aberration correction takes those out pretty effectively. I rarely use profile corrections. I mean, lenses have their character uh, in the way they are more or less corrected and the way they distort and do things to the photo or add some vignetting, some natural vignetting. I often want that. I want that character to be in the photo. I might even choose a lens for its specific character. And, And correcting that would be counterproductive to me. And of course, sometimes... Uh, using the profile correction helps, especially with architecture shots, with like to have a very wide angle lens that has a lot of weird distortions. Uh, the profile correction might be able to fix that. But that's a special case, so 90% of the time I won't profile correct. Also takes computational time, makes things a bit slower, so I want, to, I want my editing to be fast. The transform panel. Uh, I use this often because uh, I do love straight photos, especially especially when architecture is involved. Um, straight lines, especially straight vertical lines, make a very tidy photo. And I try to get this right in camera if I can. Um, this is one of the reasons I love my tilt-shift lenses because the shift part of it can help you just get this right in camera. But if I can't get it in camera due to the camera or the lens I use, or if if I use a tilt shift but I don't quite get it right, this has happened too, um, the function guided upright 
uh, is the function that I has, has saved my butt so many times. And what you do is you uh, you draw these lines along the lines in your photo, and if you have two vertical lines that you um, that you put the guides in for, it snaps too straight and you can do this with the horizontal lines too so if you want to take a picture of something or show a picture of something that is straight on very very straight on a doorway a window something like that but you didn't quite get it 100 this is how you can fix that and yeah it's i like i like the the guided upright very much um and then there's an effects panel and that has things in it like post crop vignetting and uh, grain and that panel <laughs> actually doesn't exist for me i don't never use it if i want vignetting i will either selectively paint in the vignetting with a brush um or i would choose a lens that does that by itself <laughs> and if I, if i want grain then i yeah will usually use film and the grain from that so yeah the effects panel uh doesn't work for me and then the last panel that you see is the calibration panel and again what you what we talked about earlier um the profile that is now all the way in the top used to be in used to live in that calibration panel and uh i'm glad they moved it up because it should be the first step in developing is choosing a profile and it makes it more visible and just more logical to have this on the top so yeah i I like the way it's set up at this point and uh, it helps me, supports my work quite well. So, Florin, back to the auto button. Uh, if we go back to the basic panel, it the, the auto button only looks at two areas in the basic panel. It looks at the tone part and the presence part. And all the other panels that I just talked about are not affected by it at all. So, that's why usually go in and do it manually um but if you want only the the the, the contrast and the exposure uh, and if you want to give this an initial kind of guess or have lightroom have a guess then the auto button does a decent job in exposure and contrast at least to initial in to an initial spot that you can then use as a starting point for your own edit now there is um i've I thought long and hard about how to um, how to how to talk about this, and yeah, there's a lot of that, that was a lot of talking, and I guess half of you have probably turned off by now. But uh, of course, that is something that warrants a kind of a visual component to it. So there is a companion video out there, a short one where you get to watch over my shoulder and uh, and see me edit. Uh, couple of pictures that I recently took and I'll try to explain what I'm doing there and I've just I've shot it for this episode so it's the companion to this episode 863 and there's a link in the show notes and if you go to uh, the, the there's a shortcut link that is tfttf.com slash 863v for video 863v and that will take you to that video on YouTube and maybe that adds a bit more context so yeah go out edit photos learn how to edit and you'll be a bit more powerful than just hitting the auto button
And that was it for this week in Tips on the Top Floor. You know, this is one of those episodes where I talked a lot and talked and talked and talked. And I'm not, I'm never sure with these kind of episodes, if they work, if they don't work. So um, I'd love if you could let me know if that's uh, some kind of content that you can deal with or if, if you get bored by it. Let me know. If you like this episode, you can buy me a coffee at tfttf.com slash coffee or consider joining the growing list of amazing patrons over at tfttf.com Patreon. And here again are the wonderful patrons who are directly responsible for this episode to exist. If it wasn't for you guys, I couldn't have justified to take the time out of my schedule. So here in order of the tiers... Patrons with higher pledges get named first, so my thanks go to Jeremy Kirvin, Jeffrey Block, Ken Davidson, Roger Nadel, Daniel Hertrich, Alin Simeon, Noyu, Marco Binder, uh, Doug Gabbard, Peter Morrow, Alex Crozo, Tom Stewart, Matt Armstead, Stu Silverman, Aaron Pinasov, Francesco Scalioni, Holger Krupp, Woody, Trevor Palmer, Ryan Gillio, Thomas Nielsen, Dave Smith, David Recht, John Donahue, Ken. Berrien, Steven Sandler, Jasmi MR, Alan Bruce Horn, Andrew B, Rob Duba, Chandra, Anthony, Jim Caldwell, Peter M. Spradling, James Trimble, Michael Grunert, Scott, Bartek Boski, Chad Lake Cluck, Robert Goshko, Sina Farhat, Kyle Nishioka, and Josh Hopko. Thank you all for your support. You are awesome. And of course, if you want to support this show, go to tfttf.com slash Patreon. Music for the show by Jeff Smith, sound partner, hands by the car group, publishing, and select challenges by Release Pixie, Matt Revster, Armstead, Slack imitations by Chief Imitation Officer, CIO Rusty Russ, and the link to get on the Slack is, of course, in the show notes. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media at Chris M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Now go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other and happy shooting. <laughs>